2024 is shaping up to be a very interesting year here in the United States politically for sure. But today I want to take a different approach to what we can do as Christians to affect a good outcome in whatever situation we're facing in our lives. I'm going to talk today about the topic of fasting. If you've ever wondered what God says about fasting, this is going to be an awesome conversation for you. We're studying this a little bit at the Faith That Speaks community, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you. This is the Heidi St. John Podcast. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Welcome to the podcast. Today's podcast is being sponsored in part by my friends at MyPillow. Right now, their complete mattress system is on sale for 50% off. You guys have heard me say several times that I love this sleep system. My husband and I purchased ours a couple of years ago, and I'm telling you what, I sleep on it every single night, still love it, and I know you guys will too. To get this fantastic discount, just visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code Heidi to save upwards of 50% over at the MyPillow pillow.com website, or you can call 1-800-447-0541. Remember, these deals don't last long. Visit mypillow.com and use the promo code Heidi to save up to 50% today. Most of you have heard by now that I am taking women through the book of Esther over at my Bible study uh, plan called Faith That Speaks. But what you may not know is I have a women's conference that is coming up in March called Faith That Speaks. The theme this year is shine. And I am so excited about this because I feel like the Lord is just getting ready to do something really amazing with his people. In Psalm 107, verse 2, the psalmist declares, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And this is the theme verse behind everything I do at Faith That Speaks. And that's exactly what we're going to learn to do. We're going to learn to say so. I love to ask women, if your faith found its voice, what would God have you say? If your faith found its feet, where would God take you? God has you here for such a time as this. And you guys are part of a larger unfolding story that God is writing and has been writing on human history since the dawn of time. And so I'm going to teach you this year how to boldly declare uh, who you are and who you are in Christ through time in God's word, through worship, and through conversation. That link just opened a couple of days ago. And so you can be one of the first to register. Right now, we are still offering an early bird registration rate. And you'll notice that this year, we're doing something special. If you're interested in a very small VIP event with me and my husband, you can register for that as well. So go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash events and look for Shine of Faith That Speaks Conference. Over at Faith That Speaks at the Bible Study, and that's another thing that you can do, you can join me there. I'm taking women through the book of Esther. And I am enjoying this study very, very much. Next study, we're going to be talking about 10 extraordinary women in the Bible and look at their lives. Some of these women came into positions of influence. Some of them had no influence, and yet God used them in extraordinary ways. And uh, I frankly cannot wait for you to join that study with me. I'm really excited. I write those every single month. So they come out fresh. And uh, and we have, I don't know, upwards of 50 of them now, I think, over at Faith That Speaks. So you can become part of the women's Bible study community by simply going to faiththatspeaks.com. But I want to start out today, and you heard me the other day talk about the news and kind of what's going on 
with Trump and his incredible victory in the Iowa caucuses. Of course, the uh, New Hampshire primary is coming up, and that's going to be yet another uh, bellwether, perhaps, about what's going to be happening in the months to come. But we know, because we've seen this now all throughout Scripture, that we live in a very broken world. We live in a broken world in a very challenging time for God's people. And certainly this is not any different than what Esther went through. It's not different than what the apostles lived through. Someone said uh, to me several weeks ago, well, these are the days of Noah. And I'm like, boy, you know, uh, there are millions of God-fearing Christians in the United States that I am really praying would find their voice and would begin again to be the men and women that God has called us to be. And as I was reading through the book of Esther a couple of months ago, writing the study that we're currently uh, enjoying over at Faith That Speaks, and it's not too late. You guys can join. If you're interested, I teach live every Tuesday on Zoom uh, to many of the members that are there. But if if you would like to join me, it's not too late, faiththatspeaks.com. But as I was writing it, I was listening to a violin concerto in G minor. And uh, it's called Summer. Anyway, it was this, just this sort of epic nature, right, you know, the, of the music I was listening to, which seemed to match the mood of the story of Esther. It's kind of similar to how I feel when I'm watching The Lord of the Rings with my kids or watching any kind of a play unfold that has an, a scale in it that just is epic. Well, the story of Esther is like that. And what's interesting to note about this story, well, there's so many things, but you guys are familiar with the story, and so I'm not going to just sit here and tell you the story. Uh, you can go and read the book of Esther, for goodness sake, and it'll maybe only take you uh, 20 minutes or so to begin to just read through this incredible account of this amazing woman that God used in an extraordinary way. But it's interesting that whenever God says something, you can take it to the bank. And the Bible records in the book of Exodus, and let me get to it here re really quick. In Exodus chapter 17, uh, verse 14, you know, this is coming on the heels of uh, the, the nation of Israel fighting off their sworn enemy, the Amalekites. They, they subdue them. Uh, this is the story of Aaron and her. Remember when um, they hold up the hands of Moses? So right after that, verse 14, it says, so Joshua then overwhelms the Amalekites as they're holding up the arms of their leader, Moses. And right after that, starting in verse 14, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So this is interesting. As we study the Bible, we always want to look for little things that maybe don't, don't feel like they're that big of a deal, but they end up being a pretty big deal. And as it turns out, Haman, who is the protagonist in the story of Esther, Haman, this man who wants the Jews killed because Mordecai refuses to bow to him, Haman was a descendant of Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, 
which is Israel's sworn enemy from old. Remember that Saul also encountered the Amalekites and he did not do what God told him to do. God said, wipe them off the face of the earth. Saul did not do that. And so here the Israelites are again facing this ancient foe. And so a hatred of the Jews was literally in the blood of Haman. He hated the Jews with a seething kind of hate. And you have to ask yourself, why would Mordecai refuse to bow to such a man, right? I mean, was it was it going to kill him to say, okay, you know, fine, I'll bow to you. I don't like you, but I'll, I'll do the thing. But no self-respecting Benjamite would bow before a descendant of the ancient Amalekite enemy of the Jews. And remember that Mordecai was a Benjamite. He understood that hatred for the Jews was in the blood of Haman. And so even though even though um, Mordecai now is recognizing that his cousin uh, Esther has been put in this extraordinary position, he does something extraordinary. He stands out. The Bible teaches us that as the people of God, we should be living a set-apart life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world but rather be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Have you ever recognized that the battles that we're facing so often in our lives start in our minds? They start in our emotions. Maybe we allow ourselves to think about something a certain way, or we allow ourselves to uh, fester a thought in our hearts that is not uh, pleasing to the Lord. Maybe it's an anger at somebody else. Maybe it's jealousy that gets its root into your heart and your mind and it uh, ends up hurting the relationships of people who once were close to you, we are called to not be transformed to the world, but be set apart by the renewing of our mind, keeping our minds held captive to the mind of Christ. We want to be doing what God says is right to do. He says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so according to scripture, the Christian's relationship with the world should look different. We should be living a set-apart life. And just as in the days of Esther and the time of Christ himself, we can and should expect persecution for living that set-apart life. Mordecai goes to the uh, goes to extremes, right, in his unwillingness to yield to this evil man, Haman, because he recognizes his position in God's economy. And so you can ask yourself, you know, where is God when bad things happen? These are questions that we get all the time. The situation of the Jewish people in this particular case was dire. Haman had convinced the king to destroy God's people by hiring out their murder. He had sent letters out signing the death warrant of hundreds of thousands of Jews. Imagine if you're a woman, a pregnant woman at that time, the fear in the Jewish community must have been palpable. And when Mordecai learned of the degree, he responded as you would expect if you were living in that time. He, he, he tore his clothes and he sat in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, the Bible says in Esther, starting in chapter four, verses one to three, that he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, but he refused to apologize to Haman. He refused to change his mind. And instead, he showed an incredible amount of resolve and a determination to stay the course in the midst of this terrible scenario. So he didn't apologize to Haman. He refused to change his mind. And in fact, he put on sackcloth and ashes, which was a sign of repentance. We read about this in the book of Jonah in chapter three. God 
honors repentance. Um, last month I taught the last, or two months ago, I taught the last book, the last part of the book of Revelation, which was a study I wrote called People Get Ready. And over and over, when the, the letters were written to the churches of Thyatira, of Sardis, and of Thessalonica, we saw that God honors nations that are repentant. God honors repentance. If you want to stave off the judgment of God, the key to that is repentance. We hear about revival in this country all the time. We cry out for revival. We recognize our need for a change, and we recognize our need for God's hand to move in our country. But revival will not come without repentance. And we see that the first thing that Mordecai does is he mourns for the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and he laid them in sackcloth and ashes. So I want to just talk for a moment about fasting because I, I was teaching this the other day to the women at the Faith That Speaks Bible Study community. And again, I would love to have you join me there. If you would like a deeper walk with the Lord or you just want to study God's word regularly with other women, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to do that. But I thought it was interesting that Esther, even though she is distressed, listen to what the Bible says in Esther chapter four, verse four. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. So Esther here, deeply distressed, she sends one of the king's eunuchs to learn why Mordecai is out there in sackcloth and ashes. And here's what we can learn about her in this response. She was very aware of her position in the court. She knew she did not have any power or authority. She was afraid. And she's trying to get, she's trying to like, dude, get out of the city gate. What are you doing, right? But he refuses to do that because he understands what is happening to the Jews. And in verses 12 to 14, Mordecai gives Esther some very serious possible outcomes if she doesn't help her people. He said, don't think that you and your family will escape if you remain silent deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But he said, you and your father's family will perish. And then he goes on to say the words that so many of us know, but who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. God had a plan for Esther and Mordecai was trying to encourage her in that. So think about this. Like you might've been, you might've been tempted to just say, you know what, forget it. I mean, if I was Esther's cousin, I might have been tempted to say, you know, just forget it. Uh, Esther was uh, is going to be protected, and maybe that's the way that God will continue the line of the Jews, but he didn't. Mordecai realized that his cousin had been put there for a very important purpose. This exchange between the two of them is important for us right now because we were born for this time in history, we were born for this. Literally, Mordecai understood that in God's economy, he was supposed to trust God enough to demand that his cousin do the right thing, not necessarily the easy thing, but the right thing. And so what does she do? She goes to the, she goes to her maidservants and she says, we are going to spend time fasting and praying. We need the help of God. And this is where I was... Uh, you know, thinking about the the upcoming elections here in our country. I remember very clearly, as I know a lot of you do, the 2016 elections. We remember what was happening around the uh, the political landscape. And our family and many others around the country were fasting and praying and asking God to help us. We need God's help. And fasting is a really powerful expression 
that we can engage in with the Lord. Often fasting mentioned with prayer in scripture, very, very rarely are the two of them ever apart. Both the Old and the New Testament feature multiple examples of believers practicing fasting and prayer together. So for example, in Nehemiah chapter nine, the Israelites fasted and lifted up prayers of praise and confession. Why? Because they sinned against God. There you see the heart of the uh, the people to say, we have sinned. It starts with repentance. You want to stave off the judgment of God, repent. David came before the Lord and said, search me, God, try me. Is there anything in my life that is not bringing you glory? In Esther chapter four, verse 16, Esther fasted with Israel and she prayed for strength. She was asking God for something specific to spare Israel from Haman's plot of genocide against the Jews. In Psalm 35, David mentioned praying and fasting for who? For his enemies. Daniel fasted and prayed to lament Israel's disobedience while they were exiled in Babylon and asked God to have mercy on his chosen people. Paul and Barnabas in the New Testament prayed and fasted to ask God for guidance as they appointed elders over the first century church. So we live in a very fallen, broken world. And you know what that means? That means we need help. And sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I need help just to make it through the day, right? Sometimes I need help with my staff or employees or my children or uh, wisdom in making a decision. Should I go? Should I stay? Is this something, God, that you want me to do? And we know that God honors it when we seek him in prayer. And so I want to encourage you, as the Lord has been encouraging me, to consider that we might begin a practice of regular fasting, coming to the Lord in prayer for our country. A lot of Christians are concerned, and rightfully so, about the direction of our country. But God is not unaware of what we're struggling with, and He sees what it is that we're going through. I found an article written by John Piper, which I thought might be one of the best articles I've ever written on fasting. And he said this, Christian fasting is not only going without, it is not simply abstaining. So a lot of people think that fasting just means I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop eating, right? We, we hear about fasting as it, uh, in, a, in a relationship just to our health. Like I am, for example, a fan of intermittent fasting. But for the believer, fasting is different. Fasting serves a different purpose. Our abstaining always serves a greater end. Some eventual gain, not a loss, Christian fasting is abstaining for the sake of a specific Christian purpose, or it is not truly Christian. Jesus did not waffle as to whether or not his church would fast. He said, when you fast in Matthew chapter six, he said they will fast in Matthew chapter nine. And so the early church fasted and for two millennia, Christians have fasted. And when we have done so in a truly Christian way, the end result has not been lost but gain. In order for Christian fasting to become a spiritual feast, we have to rehearse its purpose and its benefits. So he goes on to talking about fasting and why we fast. But the key difference when we fast as Christians is that we are fasting on purpose. We are trying to bring our hearts into alignment 
with the one who made us. We are crying out to the Lord. And every time we abstain, maybe it's a three-day fast. And when you're, uh, when your belly is growling and you feel those hunger pains, you are reminded to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, we are begging you. We are, we are coming before you as a people in need of your help, in need of your wisdom, in need of your direction, in need of your leadership. It's more important, I think, as we enter into this season, which could very likely be marked by chaos. It could be marked by, uh, who knows, the shenanigans. You know, we all saw what happened uh, in 2020. And I believe that uh, we need to see again a return of God's people to the battlefield of prayer. This is how Esther ultimately found the advantage and gained the victory over her enemy who would have destroyed the Jews. She came to God in prayer. She she uh, used the spiritual discipline of fasting. So without a spiritual purpose, fasting is just fasting, right? But it's not Christian fasting. It's just going hungry, aka intermittent fasting, or maybe you do a diet that requires fasting. So I'm not talking about just the dietary benefits of fasting. I'm talking about fasting as sort of an assistant to prayer. So coming alongside a a specific uh, request that we're making of God, because we know that we have access, according to the Bible, to the throne of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, and Ephesians 3, verse 12, reminds us that we can come before the Lord, listen to this, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him in faith. Romans 5, verse 12, through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope and in the glory of of God. So fasting as a sort of assistant to prayer, coming alongside the prayers that we are making uh, and making the special plea to God with an added intensity from our normal everyday prayer. Uh, I remember very clearly fasting and praying in the 2016 elections. And I think one of the mistakes that we made and I would put myself in this category in 2020 was we just thought we got this thing in the bag, right? And I'm not here to say that the savior of the United States is Donald Trump. Far from it. He has flaws that are, uh, I think, sometimes beyond annoying. But I can tell you that the people that are in the White House right now are not acting in the best interest of the American people. The Bible is very clear that when the righteous are in power, the the uh, the righteous rejoice. But when they are in in, uh, when the wicked are in power, the people groan and there's so much groaning that's happening and we need to seek the Lord. So not just because of an election is coming up, but because our nation, I believe, is at a pivotal point. Are we going to turn the nation around? Are God's people, I mean, forget, the, forget uh, every person in the country. I'm just talking about God's people behaving like God's people. And so in 2024, and I told you guys my uh, my keyword for this year is shine, and I'm, that's what I'm going to be teaching you guys, what the Lord's teaching me about how that looks in 2024 to encourage you to shine wherever you are. Shine in your marriage, shine to your children, shine in your communities. God has something he wants you to do. And so the ultimate reward of fasting is, is a, a greater sense of God himself. And I love this. More important than God's earthly guidance and protection and deliverance and provision is our earnest and eternal reception of and rejoicing in our relationship with the Lord. We love to um, recount 
in our family, what God has done over the years, the times that he has delivered us, the history in our family of um, coming before the Lord and seeing God do amazing things. The building that I'm sitting in right now is a tremendous reminder that God is the one who provides. He is the provider. But God wants us to come before him and uh, enter into his presence with rejoicing and with purpose. And the great, I think, and often uh, hidden benefit and reward of fasting is just access to God himself. Psalm 81 verse 10 says, open your mouth wide as we empty our stomachs and I will fill it. God rewards Christian fasting, according to John Piper, because it attunes us to the very purpose of God in the universe, to magnify himself in our desiring, enjoying, and being satisfied in him. And he rewards it not just with what we're asking for in our fast, but ultimately with who he is as our desire, our enjoyment, and our satisfaction. At the end of the day, Christian fasting is not mainly about what we go without, but who we want more of. And in 2024, I hope you'll join me. I want more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus in my life. I want to hear him better. I want to lean into him for wisdom and for direction and for strength and for purpose. I believe we're going to need it. Uh, I, I am not afraid. And I know because I'm hearing from some of you at the show, there's a lot of fear coming out of the uh, 2020 elections heading into 2024, but God does not want us to live in fear. And in fact, the Bible teaches us that that spirit of fear is not from God. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. That soundness of mind comes from a spirit that's yielded to the Lord, that above all the other voices in the world, we hear the voice of the one who made us. So I want to encourage you, I'll be talking about this more in the months to come, to really be praying about entering into a regular habit of coming before the Lord and fasting in, uh, in an earnest desire to hear his voice and walk in obedience to him. I will be praying and fasting for the healing of our nation, for the elections that are coming up, for the mess that's in our school system. And mostly I'm going to be saying, Lord, uh, raise up a generation that loves you and wants to follow you in everything that we do. We are instructed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. How can we do that, men and women, without the presence, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life? So I hope you guys will uh, join me over at Faith That Speaks. Now is a great time. You can jump right in. I have to tell you, I am loving this study of Esther. I've seen it with kind of a new set of eyes this time. I've read through Esther many times uh, as a young woman and as uh, as a wife over the years, but I've, it's hitting me a little bit differently this time. And I think partly it's because of where we are in our nation and where we are as a people. God wants to use you and your prayers carry with them incredible promise when they're brought before the Lord of heaven's armies. God loves you. He loves you. He loves this country. And I believe that we have a tremendous opportunity to see God do amazing things. So walk this out with me this year in faith, you guys. Let's come before the Lord together and believe that the one who raised Jesus from the dead is still performing miracles today. And you are here for such a time as this. And I am here for such a time as this. We are literally here for it. So I can't wait to see what God does. 
uh, in the months to come. Thank you guys for uh, listening to the show. Thank you for leaving reviews for it over at iTunes and over at Spotify. Don't forget to visit today's sponsor is MyPillow.com. We really appreciate you guys visiting our sponsors. Remember, you can go to the checkout at MyPillow.com and use the promo code Heidi. I believe it works on a variety of different products right now, but I know for sure that a couple times a year they put those mattresses on sale. So if you're in need of a new sleep system, that is the one I'm telling you. I love it. It also comes with a really wonderful money back guarantee. I believe it's a six month money back guarantee. So you can try it. And if you don't like it, you can just send it back. So check it out. The complete mattress system right now for upwards of 50% off by just using the promo code Heidi or call 1-800-447-0541. You guys, we so appreciate you visiting the sponsors. It's a great way to support the show. Have a great day, everybody. Love your people well today. Thank you again for listening. And I'll see you right back here again real soon at the intersection of faith and culture.